Welcome back to another episode of The Daily Vedantic. And oh, am I inspired. I'm not going to say excited. Inspired for today's daily reflection because it is on the world's most famous poem, the Bhagavad Gita. Something that the West, we've only had for about 200 years. It was translated into English almost at gunpoint by a British general that wanted it translated into English. And the history of this philosophy is so interesting in that it was conventionally something you had to go to the Himalayas for. You had to go way up in the mountains, wait and wait and wait. The cave of a, of a master that you wanted to study from and ask a question that you've been thinking about for years. And they'd tell you to come back in a year if you were serious. You'd wait patiently, 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 and then go back. And that's how you'd have to get this wisdom through the guru-student lineage and that one-on-one -on -one nature of teaching that we've largely lost, largely abandoned uh, here in the West, and we, we don't have, we have not cultivated. The secret knowledge, as it used to be called, was just in these tiny little pockets. It would find its way. These students would go on, and they'd become these masters themselves, these lighthouses, and then many times religions would be built around them, and then it would get lost as humans are, as we tend to do, obsessed with the personality of that teacher instead of the teaching itself, obsessed with converting people, obsessed with being more right than others instead of truly understanding the truth. But all of that is to say a British general that had had enough, he wanted to know what these people were studying in India as Great Britain was ruling it. So he asked teacher after teacher after teacher until he finally found one that would translate the Bhagavad Gita which means Song of the Lord, the Lord's Song, into English. And that was about 200 years ago when that happened. And this poem, the Lord's Song, is the totality of the philosophy in a poem that you could read in about 27 minutes. I'm just going to give you the broad overview of the Gita right now. And notice that it's the Lord's Song, Song of the Lord. This is not, and this took me years before this even clicked in my head, this is not uh, hymn of the Lord or song of the Lord that humans are writing for God. This is seen as God's song to humanity. And it takes place in the most unexpected way and yet so damn helpful in our day-to-day -day lives. And that this poem is a dialogue between a charioteer and this warrior prince, the most famous warrior prince in the land. His name's Arjuna. They're right in the middle of this great civil war, right in the middle of the most important battle of this great civil war that has been building for over a decade, for 13 years, leading up to this battle and this dialogue between this warrior prince and his charioteer takes place right in the geometric center of the battle. Slight sidebar for those interested. The Bhagavad Gita is in the geometric center of this large epic called the Mahabharata. In uh, India, you have the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, these two massive epics of just great symbolism stories. It's kind of like our Marvel comics today. The characters interweave around a decently singular narrative arc. You also have things like the Iliad and the Odyssey that we have in the West, these great epic stories with a whole lot of virtue woven throughout them. And in the Mahabharata, one of these two epics in India, right in the geometric center of 
over 100,000 verses of the Mahabharata is the Bhagavad Gita, which again is a very short, it's about 701 verses. It's 700 or 701, depending on the version. And it is a 27 minute read, very, very brief read, but it is the totality of all of Vedantic philosophy in this dialogue, this symbolic dialogue between the mind and the intellect, passions and purpose. You have Arjuna, this warrior prince that is breaking down. He acts like he's not breaking down. He's acting all tough. And he says to his charioteer, Krishna, take me to the center of the battle, of the battlefield so that I can survey both sides and get a better look at him. And he's trying to hold it all together. Krishna takes him to the center and he sees what's about to happen. And it's a civil war. So he sees people he knows on the other side. And he has this massive meltdown. Literally can't stand up can't lift his bow. And in this meltdown, he thinks he's talking to his charioteer, Krishna, but it's revealed that Krishna is the symbolic embodiment of God. And so you get to hear this dialogue between this warrior prince that seemingly has it all. Even someone as a warrior wants, on some level, wants a righteous war, a righteous battle. He's on the side of good. And yet when he is face to face with this battle, he is freaking out. In future episodes, we'll go into what the Gita talks about. But one of the main themes, and perhaps the theme of the Gita, in this dialogue between the charioteer and, and the warrior prince, is the charioteer reminding the warrior prince who he truly is. It's not just on the profound level of who he truly is, also how the world works, who he is in this relative scenario. And if you hear a poem about a battle and a dialogue between a warrior prince and a charioteer, and you think, well, I'm not fighting in a battle. That's not for me. You're wrong. We all have a war within ourselves and you might be choosing not to fight it. The whole first chapter, this thing is just so brilliantly smart. This is not like a kindergarten spiritual read. This is a, you know, 501 college course spiritual read. You could read through it and, and enjoy it as a story, your first you know, pass through in 30 minutes, but those two years are going into each verse and each word because it is just so, it's dripping with meaning within each verse and it is applicable to every aspect of our lives and everyone's life. The first chapter is so smart because it, it lays the groundwork for what we all do. It's called the spiritual bypass where Arjuna when confronted with this battle, tries to come up with this philosophical, pseudo-philosophical reason of why they shouldn't, they shouldn't fight. Or he says, we should retreat, go to the forest peacefully and study philosophy. He thinks he is uttering some sage approach to the current situation, but his duty is to fight that battle. It reminds me of The Lion King. What a deep, deep movie The Lion King was. If you have kids and you watch it again with kind of adult eyes, you're, you're like, damn, that's, this, is some, this is some deep S. You have Simba, who all he wants to do is become king. Then he sees what being king is like, what you have to confront, evil, scar, death. And he runs away to live what he thinks is a philosophical, it's called their philosophy. A philosophical approach of akuna matata means no worries. Check out our last episode on worry, by the way. 
if you want to see where worry fits in our lives. But he thinks he's living a philosophical life because he's living a life of pleasure in the forest, in the jungle. And all the while, his family, his mother, the people that he loves, an entire kingdom are in ruin because he refuses to confront the truth that he is the rightful king. It is so, so damn deep. In fact, in the scene where he sees his father in the sky, his father says, remember, remember who you are. That is the Gita. It is God telling us, remember who we are. And what you need to do next, if you can hear that, clicks in place like it did for Simba, where he ran enthusiastically toward what he needed to do, toward potential death, but towards what was right. We are all fighting that battle daily within ourselves. And this poem is all about that battle, about who we are, and about how we are meant to fight it. This has been another daily reflection on the Daily Vedantic. We'll see you next time.